today, what I want to focus on is our heart here uh, at Hope for following Jesus. Our heart for following Jesus. In fact, that's why we exist as a church, is for us to follow Jesus and to invite other people to follow Jesus. Uh, Will you pray with me as we begin? God, thanks for this morning. Thank you for the people of Hope. Thank you that you're with us, that you love us. Um, we're grateful that your presence is here, and, and I pray that through the words of this message, um, the stuff that needs to stick would stick, the stuff that uh, isn't for some of the folks here today, you'd just let it slide right off, but Holy Spirit, uh, in spite of my feeble <laughs> words, will you come um, and empower? This time, will you come and move in our hearts? We give ourselves to you now. We give you our hearts, Jesus. So come and work in us and work in me as you will. Amen? Amen. Well, there are dozens of times uh, all through the New Testament in the books that we call the Gospels uh, where it talks about the life of Jesus. And Jesus will come up to someone that he is calling and he will tell them to follow me. He'll ask them, follow me. Uh, One place where that happens is in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 9, where it says, Jesus passed on from where he was and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and said to him, Follow me, and Matthew then rose and followed Jesus. Now, there's no indication in this story. It's kind of a just moving right along kind of deal. There's no indication in that short story of how Matthew was called to follow Jesus that he stopped and thought about it for a while. Um, And it was probably a big deal for him because being a tax collector was a pretty lucrative job uh, because he was working for the occupying Roman governments. But Matthew apparently didn't really seem to think about all he was going to lose and leave behind. Uh, The scripture just says, and he rose and followed him. And Matthew, right, this is the book, right, that he wrote. So that gives us a pretty good picture of what it looked like. Uh, And I think it's a pretty good picture of oftentimes what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, there are many rich layers to this, and we'll look at some of the other places where Jesus calls someone to follow him. Uh, And I believe in the new year, Jim and I are going to unpack this in a little more depth, but I want to give you a little picture of the culture here where Jesus would call these disciples, is what they end up being called, the disciples to follow him. Now, this was a Jewish culture, and in that culture, there were rabbis. These were teachers um, in different synagogues, different villages, and the rabbis were the ones responsible for explaining the law of Moses to the Jewish people. So the Torah were the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We've got some Bible scholars here. All right. So those five books, the rabbis would unpack And they would explain. Now, they had a pretty intense system in how they would do this. If you were raising a Jewish child, your child would likely, almost all of Jewish children, memorized memorized the Torah by age 10. That was the system how they did this. Uh, And everybody didn't have a copy in their home, right? This was each village. Maybe the synagogue would have it. Most likely, the rabbi would have a copy. And so they were constantly teaching and filling 
the kids. And at age 10, there was the next stage of development. And if they recognized you as a child, sadly, it was only the young men and boys, the young boys here. They thought, oh, this one here, he's, he's got it going on. He could be a disciple of the rabbi. Let's move him to stage two out of three. Um, the best of the best, you small group kind of can hang around with the rabbi. The rest of you, um, awesome. Thanks for being here. Just keep loving God. And, and the best of the best would hang around. Um, And after that, there was even a smaller group um, of disciples that were hoping that they would become one day rabbis. So about age 14, the next cut was made, and the best of the best of the best of the best would go that way. And the rest of them, you know, they'd be probably told something like, hey, you're a wonderful young man. Uh, You obviously have a heart for God. Uh, Continue to love God and the people around you. Um, Go learn the family trade, right? So then they'd go and do the family trade. They were not the best of the best of the best. So when Jesus comes along and calls Matthew, who's now a tax collector, so he's obviously wasn't one of the best of the best when he was growing up, or, or uh, Peter or Andrew or any of the other disciples that Jesus said, come follow me, it was a big deal. Because suddenly, these young men who had been passed over, because they weren't the best of the best of the best, their rabbis had moved on to other people. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, you come be one of my disciples. Come and follow me. So it was a really big deal. Like these are the, the not good enough, but suddenly they had a second chance. And so Jesus says, follow me, and they jumped in and did it. See, when Jesus says the phrase, follow me, That was an invitation to become a disciple of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And that's what Jesus, by the way, calls us to as well, to become his disciples. See, all these disciples of Jesus begin to follow him. They weren't converts. They weren't even called Christians yet. They were all disciples. Now, fast forward to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, What Jesus does here is something we call the Great Commission. He gives all the disciples that are there with him as he's about to ascend back to heaven. After he's risen from the dead, he's going to go back to heaven now. He gives them all what we call the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. In fact, let's read this on the screen out loud together. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Like my my 20 there turned into a two giant zero. Yeah, sorry, that was my typo. But did you catch this? Look back up here in verse uh, 19. Um, what's the third line where Jesus told them to go and make what? Disciples. Disciples. Interesting. Disciples of all nations, all over the place. And then it moves into the baptizing thing, which is something we're going to do next year. But, But making disciples. Now, when I contrast this idea of what Jesus called them and us, the Great Commission, what he called us to do to follow him, to become his disciples. When I contrast that with what I kind of grew up believing or knowing about Christianity and maybe even what sort of passes for Christianity in in a lot of uh, circles today, um, it looks very different. 
See, when I was in youth group, I had a youth pastor that he did go and pick a few of us and say, you and you and you and you and you and you, um, how about we do a discipleship group? And it was a wonderful thing. It was really good. I, we all grew a ton in our faith. Um, but it was interesting is the idea was that not everybody would be a disciple, right? Some of them are just, hey, we're just glad you're Christians. And others, kind of that next level, um, you are disciples. And, and, and another piece of this is when I was uh, growing up, the way I understood Christianity and the Christian faith was that I needed to get saved so that I wouldn't go to hell when I died, right? Anybody ever have a circle where, where the reason that you prayed a prayer to come to Jesus was so that you could go to heaven when you die? Anybody? See, we would, right, we would rededicate our life, and we would rededicate it again and again. I rededicated my life until my rededicator was worn out. Um, <laughs> And most of the time, it was because I was afraid of hell. I didn't want to go to hell when I died. And they would do the little spiel, you know, kids, if you were to get hit by a, what kind of truck? truck. A Mack truck, thank you. (laughs) Walk out these doors, you get hit by a Mack truck. Do you know for sure? Why would God say I should let you into my heaven? And our answer was, well, I prayed the prayer, right? I prayed the prayer. God, you got to let me in. I prayed the prayer. Um, which again, it's not, it's not a great way. It's not also like the worst thing. So I'm not completely, you know, but the problem is, even though that's kind of normal in a lot of churches, like scare the hell out of people, literally, um, to try to scare them into the love of Jesus, right? I mean, it just doesn't connect, but there is a problem with this idea of praying the prayer so that you get to go to heaven when you die and you don't go to hell. The problem is this, that prayer is not actually in the Bible anywhere, right? You got to look for it here, but it's not, doesn't say, you know, pray this prayer so that you don't go to heaven when you die. And the problem is when we give that to people, when we, the church, we may get people to pray the prayer, especially out of fear that they could be sure that they're going to be in heaven. But that's, that's often missing this idea that what they're actually committing to is to become followers of Jesus, that we're going to be disciples who follow Jesus. Like Jesus never offered a get out of hell free card. He invited people to follow him to become his disciples. Look at another story uh, in this theme here from Matthew chapter 4. Now that we know a little bit about rabbis, Jesus is about 30 years old. He's beginning his earthly ministry here, and he's beginning his teaching ministry. He's a rabbi. And what would happen is at the age of 30, that's when rabbis would begin to teach and call disciples to follow them. Actually, most of the time, you would apply and try to get in the school of the disciple and be selected. So Jesus really does this totally backwards because he goes and calls people. Verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Again, remember, like, oh, this is my chance, right? No second thought, off they go. Next verse, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat with their father, see you, Dad, <laughs> and followed Jesus. Again, there's no look here about these men stopping or counting the costs or talking it over. It just says immediately they left their nets, right? There, verse 20, they left their nets and followed Jesus. 
I mean, this is a big deal. They left their job security. They left the only thing they had ever known to go off with this rabbi, Jesus, and to follow him and learn from him without having an idea what they were really getting into. But this was their big chance, so they sprung for it. They went for it. See, Jesus, in these scenes, he is calling disciples to come, follow me, which in fact is his call to us today as well. He calls us to come, follow him. This is essentially what it means to be a Christian. It means to be someone who follows Jesus. That's the big idea behind following Jesus. It's to be a disciple. Now, again, I'm not trying to overstate the point. Maybe I am. But I want to point out here, imagine Jesus calling the disciples as he did when they were at the sea. There was no sinner's prayer going on, right? Jesus didn't walk up to the beach and say, all right, guys, I want everybody's eyes closed, nobody looking around. Hey, you there in the boat, close those eyes, right? He didn't do that, right? That's not how it happened. Um, in the scriptures, the call was to follow Jesus. Uh, and the guys that we just read about, they said yes, and they did it. They left everything to become followers of Jesus, to become his disciples. And that's exactly what we are here for at Hope as well. See, this church is here as a community of people made up of people who want to be followers of Jesus. We want to be disciples of Jesus. So, so what I'm trying to kind of push toward here as I talk about our heart for following Jesus is that following Jesus is not just some kind of transaction that we make where we say a prayer, where we tell God we're sorry, we receive him, and then it's a done deal. By the way, that's important. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But, but that's not the whole deal. Like following Jesus means that we say yes to his decision or to his invitation and we decide to follow him. And again, most of the time, that actually does involve some sort of prayer. And I think it's wonderful that there's not some scripted prayer in scripture because it leaves it open for a little bit for us. Like, you know, oh my gosh, did I say the wrong words? This interpretation says to do it this way. No, it doesn't, it isn't said like that in scripture. Um, there are hearts of repentance that, that, that turn toward God, right? We change a direction. We start to follow him. That's what it means to become a disciple, to become a follower of Jesus. And, and it needs to involve repentance. Where I own my stuff, I see that I've been going my own way. And I've been doing my own thing. I've been uh, living sinfully. I've been doing stuff that I know is counter to where God would have me go. So I ask him to forgive me for that. That's a heart of repentance, and then we begin to follow Jesus. So, listen, praying the prayer, it's a good thing to do. But what I want to make sure we realize is that we don't reduce that down to some transaction. Well, you get to go to heaven because you prayed a prayer, you know. So when you die, you're in, right? Um, because if we do that without any sort of understanding or calling people to a commitment to follow Jesus, um, they're missing out. And again, just so I'm not misunderstood here. I'm not against praying a prayer to accept Christ into our life. It's an important thing to do. I've done that. We do that here regularly at Hope. Um, Jesus says we do need to be born again. And so a great way to enter into that is through praying a prayer. It's a part of the process. Um, but that decision that we make, a decision that we make to follow Jesus, is what we have to keep in mind when we walk with folks who are, are trying to figure out how to live out the Christian faith. Otherwise, we just have them pray the prayer and then now just show up for church and maybe read your Bible and pray once in a while. That doesn't necessarily call people into uh, discipleship, which is what Jesus invites us into. 
into because in that process of following Jesus, he makes changes in our, in our life. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new way of doing life. So we never want to stop at just praying the prayer and saying, hey, now you're in, now you're a Christian. The deal is done. Um, Because that's not what Jesus invited people to, right? Jesus invited people, again, to follow him. Now, Dallas Willard, who's a brilliant, uh, brilliant man who recently passed, um, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, he called that kind of incomplete understanding that some people have just, hey, pray the prayer so you get to go to heaven when you die. He called that uh, barcode faith. He says that, that oftentimes people settle for what he calls barcode faith. Think of the barcodes, right, that are on the, you know, now, especially at the self-checkout, you find the barcode, you scan it, right? We, we're pretty familiar with the barcode, and we all know what that is. It's not a code at a bar where you go get a drink, no. It's, <laughs> just making sure, okay. I could have put that on the screen, but... So he says this, think of barcodes now used in most stores. <laughs> he wrote this a while ago, apparently. Most stores, yeah, all stores. The scanner only responds to the barcode. Makes no difference what's on the bottle or the package. The, whether the sticker on, that whether the sticker that's on the package is the right one or not, the scanner only responds to the barcode and its electronic eye, totally disregarding everything else. So if the ice cream sticker is on the dog food, then the dog food is ice cream, as far as the scanner knows or cares, and that's what you get charged for. What he says is that some Christians kind of treat the Christian life like, well, it's like a barcode, right? I've done some ritual. I have a certain belief. I've signed up for a membership class. I'm associated with this church. So, I mean, God just kind of scans me and goes, wow, you sure don't look like one of mine. But hey, okay, barcode's there. You're in, right? Um, Maybe for some of these folks that the barcode got slapped on because at some point they made a mental ascent, okay, uh, God is real, Jesus is real, so um, there you go, now I'm a Christian, I guess. Or they made an association with a church, and so they figure that, you know, hey, God's going to scan me, forgiveness is going to spring forth, Um, the righteousness of God is shifted to my bank account, all my debts are wiped away, I'm I'm saved, Uh, Nothing else matters because the barcode, I've got it. Sorry, God, you're stuck. I'm saved. And sometimes people might walk around saying, hey, I'm saved. I'm saved. And how do we know that we're saved? Well, I prayed the prayer. I know the right doctrine. Or maybe I joined the right group. Um, Essentially, people are saying, I've got the right barcode. Now, listen, maybe you can't resonate with any of this. And you're like, I don't know anybody who would do something like that. Does anybody really think that way, right? I mean, when you become a Christian, it means that you follow Jesus, that you change your life to live according to how Jesus would say we need to live our life, that it's not just some convenient thing that doesn't impact the rest of my life. I wish that were true. But in fact, I was thinking about this and thought about how in the past, um, I... (laughs) thought some of those same things. Um, I remember a conversation that I was having with another pastor friend many years ago, and um, I'm glad it was a long time ago because I don't think like this anymore, but, but back then we were talking about this mutual friend that we had grown up with, and he had been in ministry and done some ministry with the two of us at different times, but this friend went through some really hard stuff, a lot of questioning, and not only walked away from um, his ministry, uh, but he walked away from God, away from the church, and, and now he was just doing stuff that was really destructive. Like, we know he knew better, 
Um, but he was living in a way that we're like, wow, there is no indication at all that he's saying, you know what, Jesus, despite my questions and my confusion, Jesus really does know the best way to do life. I'm going to keep trusting in him. This guy had just thrown that to the side, um, and he, didn't, he no longer believed that following Jesus was the way to living, to living life to the fullest. Like, I'm going to trust Jesus. That's the direction to life to the fullest. No, he's like, nope, I'm going to be my own boss, my own Lord, if you will, and I'm going to do it my way. And the weird conversation that my friend and I were having was, was very theoretical as well. Is he still a Christian, right? We wondered, is he, is, he, is he still a Christian? And so we decided, well, of course he is. We both agreed. You know, he prayed the prayer, right? We were there at the youth camp service when he walked forward, right? Some of us in traditions we're from might say, well, I saw that person sign the card, right? They got the barcode, but Dallas Willard raises this question about this, and he wonders, would God establish a barcode connection at all? And now this is less about who gets into heaven and not, and more about what do people sign up for? What is a disciple getting into it for? Because if we settle on just limiting this to getting into heaven when we die or not, which, again, it's a wonderful, great thing, okay? But if that's all it is then we run the risk of missing all that Jesus offers when he offers us life. Jesus says, I have come to give life and life to the full, not just life from death and after that you're now saved, but life to the full here and now. Like Jesus makes an audacious claim here, not just after we die, but life to the full here and now. I mean, think about this. If God was only concerned about getting us into heaven when we die, if that was it for God, so he just slaps that barcode, he goes, hey, listen here, kid, from now on, do whatever you want, no problem, discipleship, (laughs) following Jesus, that's just optional, right? He wouldn't do that because he knows, he knows the best thing for us is to live the way of Jesus, to follow in the steps of Jesus, Like, could we seriously believe that God would establish some sort of plan for life that would just bypass the real needs that you and I each have in the life we're living right now, that he would just bypass that and leave our our lives untouched? Would he just leave us marooned here on this planet with the kind of problems that we face? Like, Like, is it even reasonable for us to believe that the core of the Christian faith is just getting into heaven when we die, and it only covers that? That's all that matters. That's the deal, right? Because, let's just be super honest. Let me be really honest with you, okay? If that were the case, if all this was was that, for me, that would be depressing, (laughs) That would be depressing. I mean, if that were the case, I can guarantee you that a prayer from me to God, if it was just about, you know, death and after, I would probably say something like, listen, God, I need more than a ticket to heaven. I mean, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, God. I'm grateful. I really am grateful. I'm glad that I know when I die, I get to go to heaven. But, But God, here's the truth about me. I need help for today in this life. I need you. Today, Jesus, because to tell you the truth, God, you know this already. I don't always do so good. And some of you can resonate, right? You might say, hey, I don't do so good. I don't, some of you might say, I don't do so good in my marriage. My marriage is a mess. I mean, I'm really glad I'm going to heaven. Glad I have security. I'm glad I have life eternal. And I like sermons that tell me that I'm going to heaven, that I got the ticket. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm really glad for that. 
But some of you might say, whew, what would it be like to try and imagine that I could have life to the full here and now that some of the places that are broken in my life could move toward healing, that I could actually have some help in my my marriage, (laughs) that following Jesus might help me have a better marriage, a better life, that following Jesus and listen to what he says might actually help me to love my wife or love my husband better. Some of us would think about our life and and maybe we would say, uh, yeah, well, for me, uh, there's my anger, right? Like, I don't even want to talk about my anger because my anger is out of control. But I wonder, sometimes I wonder if there is some kind of partnership with God that I could come to that would help me with my anger and that he would shape or form my heart or maybe something that God could do with me as I follow Jesus that might shape or heal my heart with the lust problem that I have. Like, don't talk to me about my lust, right? I just want to go to heaven when I die, right? Um, Some people would say, how about peace? Like, I hear about peace. If we, we got honest in this room, some of us would say, listen, I do, I hear about peace. That would be really nice. A little peace, a little joy, that would be great. I mean, I'm glad that I'm going to heaven when I die. <laughs> but I've never tasted peace. I've never had real joy. Could life now, here, have peace or joy? Wow, wouldn't, whew, that blows our mind. Wouldn't that be something? Well, friends, if your heart ever wonders if those things are available now, I've got some really good news for you. See, the kind of life, that kind of life I've just described, where we learn to love others, where we experience joy, peace, hope, and freedom, that kind of life is offered to you and me. Jesus offers that to us. It's not some sort of pipe dream. It's not like, hey, we're screwed till we get to heaven, so we just endure this miserable existence here. We never get to have any kind of great life here on earth. We just got to get through this thing and get to heaven. So until then, let's just suck it up and go for it. No, no, no. That is not how Jesus left us. Like, it's available to us as followers of Jesus. And it's not easy. It's not automatic. But it is available. And I believe that when we come to Jesus with the kind of desire that says, Jesus, I really do need help with my marriage. I need help with my anger. I need help with my lust. And, and God, listen, I don't want to be pushy here. But I, I need more than just a ticket to heaven when I die. I need more in my life. When we have that kind of heart toward God, he goes, yes. (laughs) He moves towards us. He moves toward that kind of humility, toward that kind of need. And he says, yes, with great delight. See, I believe that Jesus says to you and me, (laughs) he says, hey, listen, I want to do so much more than just get you into heaven. I have come that you might have life. I have come to bring you life. If you will partner with me in doing your life, if you will follow me, says Jesus, follow me and I will lead you in the path of life. Follow me, says Jesus. And when we do, he leads us into a life worth living. By the way, not a life without problems, okay? Nope, he doesn't promise us It will be easy, but he does know the best way to find life, to live life. So will we trust him? That's our question. Will we trust him? Will we follow him? You know, so many times, friends, we kind of wander around in the dark and we feel lost. 
right? Sometimes I feel lost with the stuff I'm dealing with. I'm like, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? And I read a verse like this where Jesus says in John chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. Which, by the way, that's like a vision statement, okay? (laughs) That's the dream, that Jesus is the light. This is what everybody had been waiting for back then, for him to show up and illuminate the world. And that's what we wait for, too. That's why he says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows, catch that, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So how do we find the life again? Jesus says it again. Follow me, follow me. He's gonna show us the way. You wanna live in the light of Jesus? We're gonna have to follow him. We're going to actually have to trust him. Now, let me pause for a moment because we are a huge, one of our themes was that we are a church of grace here, right? This is not about duty or obligation or earning it or gritting it out, right? This is not some sort of, like following Jesus is not this legalistic obligatory thing. No, it's an invitation of grace, It's like Jesus is saying, hey, check this out. You want to find the path to life? Come, follow me and learn from me how to get there, how to walk that way, how to walk in that way, how to live. And it's not rocket scientists, okay? It is not rocket science. We got some rocket scientists in this room, but it is not rocket science. The way of Jesus, um, it's not impossible. (laughs) But let me tell you, Following Jesus does get in the way of our egos because it does require you and I in all of our wisdom and arrogance and life experience and preferences to get our ego out of the way, to have a little bit of humility, to trust that he knows what he's talking about, where I'm willing to surrender and go, hey, listen, all right, Jesus, you go before me and I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna shape my life the way you call me to shape my life. I remember hiking um, with some friends, and they had a little guy, and I think we were up at Woods Canyon Lake, and one of the younger boys, he wanted to, he wanted to be the leader, right? He wanted to lead the hike, and, and uh, he, he kept getting frustrated with, um, I think it was either his brother, it was probably me or his dad, too, but he kept getting a little frustrated because he was going to be the leader for this part of the hike, and he said something along the lines of, listen, if, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to let me lead, <laughs> Um, which is, you know, because we kept on wandering ahead of him and like, oh, but, oh, oh, you're leading us from back there. Sorry. Right. <laughs> but the great thing about that is that following works that way, right? If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to walk behind him. <laughs> like, I'm going to need to hear what he teaches me and trust him. I'm going to have to trust that he knows the way when he shows me the path. I'm going to have to trust that his way is the best way, even if I don't prefer it, even if it gets in the way of my desires. I'm going to have to trust Jesus. Now, listen, when I, you know, say, many of us say, okay, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I am a follower of Jesus, then I need to ask myself the question, okay, am I following him? I'm a Christian, but am I, okay, am I following Jesus? Because I don't think you can have one without the other. Am I really going to trust the words of Jesus? Am I going to trust his teachings? Or do I kind of look at when Jesus says something in scripture, ah, that's, you know, that's pretty good advice, you know, and I put it on the level of like Dr. Phil or somebody, right? Ah, that's just, a lot of people have opinions and wisdom about how to do life. So are the words of Jesus just another option to consider and weigh and pick the one I want? Or do I really believe that the words of Jesus, his teachings are true, that they're the best way to live? 
Because when I understand and decide that even his, even if I don't get what he's saying, I don't know why you said that that way, Jesus, but I'm going to trust you, you know what you're talking about. That takes me trusting him. It takes me really trusting that Jesus is the wisest person who ever lived. That his teaching is not just information that I pick and choose from, but I trust what he says. I, I live like I believe what he says. Now let me get real practical for a moment and meddle. Um, looking at the clock. Oh, well, I'm in a medal. All right. It's a church of grace. All right. You guys will love me, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get real practical what this looks like because I've been talking pretty theoretical here about following Jesus and what he says. And, and we could go real deep on each one of these. But I figured, hey, let's just hit on the big three easy topics to talk about. You know, nobody gets uncomfortable. Let's, let's talk about money, sex, and power, okay? <laughs> money, sex, and power, just for a moment. So in following Jesus, right? By the way, we'll talk money first because we've already received the offering. So <laughs> yeah, I might as well go there. So, um, but do I trust what Jesus teaches about money? Do I trust what the scriptures teach about tithing? Like, am I following Jesus in that teaching? Or do I kind of ignore that one? Well, yeah, that's a nice thought, you know, but that's not for me. I know what it teaches. I'm, I'm going to ignore that one, right? Um, in the last church that I pastored, statistically, we were probably close to what the reality was for other churches in the USA. People that regularly attended my last church gave a little bit over 2%. Um, not 10%, by the way, which is tithing is 10%. That's kind of the baseline starting point for generosity and giving. It's the starting point, the tithe and the biblical teaching. We won't go into it, but people actually gave about... 2% um, looked at another way, less than one in five of us in that church congregation were actually tithing. Now, let me say this over here. If you're not a follower of Jesus, like you're just checking this out, this is not for you, right? Like don't tithe. And we're not asking you to give if you are not a follower of Jesus. But if you are a follower of Jesus, are you following Jesus on this one? And I don't look at the offering numbers I don't, or at the uh, who gives what. I stay out of that. I don't know. I don't know who does and doesn't. It's just a simple question. And we could go deep teaching on this, but it's just a, do I trust what Jesus says about money? And do I respond with generosity? Do I trust that when he says to be generous, that that really is the best way to live? Or Jesus, you don't understand my situation. I mean, the people back then were in poverty and they were still, you know, talked about generosity, but, but, but just, that doesn't apply for me. Um, so... Moving right along, let's go to an easier one. How about talking about sex right here in church? Um, and the simple question is this. Is scripture telling the truth? Like, does God know what he's talking about when he gives us boundaries for healthy, holy sexuality? Is that what I believe? Or do I pick and choose on this one and go, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but you know, I'm just gonna ignore that God stuff and make up my own morality, something I'm comfortable with, something that's not so you know, stifling and old-fashioned. We think about these things so differently today. I'm just saying that's not an option when we call ourselves a follower of Jesus. Like, he's calling us to move into this pathway because he knows something we don't. Do I trust he knows what he's talking about? Like, that sounds weird, God, but okay. I'm gonna go that way and trust that you'll teach me in time. I'm gonna obey it and trust that it is the path to life. 
And that's a tough one. That's a tough one, friends. Again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, like we don't lay our morality on other people and say, hey, listen, this is what you need to do. No, we, we just don't do that. They're not following Jesus. We don't lay, you know, God's stuff on them. Do we believe it's still healthier in the long run all the way around, whether somebody follows Jesus or not, to have sexual purity and to live well? Absolutely, but we don't lay that on people. And if we are followers of Jesus... I guess the question is, are we following Jesus on that one? Okay, how about power, right? How about power? Well, let's, let's just look at our own lives um, and simply ask these questions. Am I playing the get ahead game, the get even game? Am I jockeying for position or title? Am I trying to prove how important and, and competent I am by stepping over other people and criticizing their ineptitude, their ignorance? Am I holding grudges and unforgiveness over the heads of people? Am I doing that, which would be kind of the normal way of the world, or am I following Jesus and learning to lay down some of those things and make room for other people and to say I'm sorry and to own my stuff when I blow it? Um, Or am I demanding my rights because I'm an American citizen? I can have my rights. I'll say whatever I want to on social media. I don't care who it hurts, who reads it, who it impacts. I can say what I want. I have freedom of speech. Yeah, sure, you do, you do, you do. But don't call yourself a follower of Jesus if you don't care what other people, how they're impacted by it. Just acknowledge, right? Just, it's cool. Acknowledge where we're following Jesus and where we're not following Jesus. Now, you you saw me hesitate there, right? Even to go to the money, sex, and power thing. But I wanted to make this point because we could go down the line on a lot of this and decide, am I following Jesus or am I not? And so the question comes in, do I want to go his way? Do I want to trust how he calls me to live as his follower? Do I trust Jesus as my teacher, as my rabbi, to show me the way to go? Because all the places, and I can list you some from my life, right? All these places in my life where I am not following Jesus, to that extent, it just shows that I'm, I don't trust him there yet. And this isn't a shame thing. This is just me going, whew, I've got some growth to do, <laughs> And what's beautiful is that Jesus is okay with that. He knows it, right? He doesn't want us to hide it. He doesn't want, to fake, want us faking or pretending. He wants us to bring it into the light and say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you here. And it's going to be a struggle, right? It's going to be a struggle. So don't, I don't want anybody feeling shame like, I'm a terrible Christian. I don't want you feeling that at all. Like shame is not something that we do around here. Um, people who struggle... Um, I'm not coming down on those of us who struggle. And I'm in that camp with struggling with stuff, right? See, see, struggling is a sign of life. Like if you're still alive and you're struggling, it's a sign that you're wanting to give up that thing that isn't right. So struggle is a good thing. And so if you're struggling with something, don't quit, right? The Christian life and growth is a journey and God will keep shaping and changing and forming you and it will be slow. So be patient Keep saying yes and following Jesus and find some folks to walk with. That's what it means to keep following Jesus. Don't <laughs> take an area of your life and go, you know what? Forget that. That thing's, I'm not even gonna pay attention. I don't care what Jesus or scripture says. I'm, that would be a place to be concerned, like for you to be concerned about your heart. If you look at something and go, no, I'm accepting that thing. I don't care what Jesus says. That's something maybe for you and God to talk about, okay? Um, 
Listen, friends, here's what we believe from the bottom of our heart here. Following Jesus is the best way to live. And we're working that out together, right? It's not a legalistic thing. It's an invitation into grace. It's an invitation into this life that God lays out before us and says, hey, here's the best way to live. Come, you're gonna find joy in here. You're gonna find freedom. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Worship team, will you come? Friends, um, <clears throat> Jesus doesn't ask us to get it perfect when we follow him, right? He just asks us to trust him. He's asking us to trust him, to, to trust that he really loves me. Will I trust that he's right about what he teaches? Will I trust that Jesus has the best thing for me? My best interests are what is in his heart. Will I trust that he knows what he's talking about? Well, I trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's, he's either God or he's completely nuts and his words are worthless. He's one or the other. But will I trust that he is my teacher, that he will show me the path and that I can follow and trust that path? See, when it comes to trusting Jesus on the journey that we're on, friends, um, it means we keep saying, okay, Jesus, I don't have this whole thing right, but I'm gonna keep trusting you. I may not understand it all, but I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust you, Jesus, enough to follow you, to listen to you, to do my life your way, even if it doesn't make sense. We might pray, Jesus, even when the things you teach or your way doesn't make sense to me, okay, okay, I'm gonna follow you anyways. And some of us, our prayer might be, God, when I don't like what you say, or I don't understand what you're teaching, or I need to learn more, okay, I'm going to trust you anyway and move that way until my understanding catches up. Jesus, I trust, I do, I trust that you are the one that knows how to love. You're the one who knows um, the best way for us to be generous. Jesus, you know the best way for us to walk, for us to walk in freedom and in grace. You're gonna lead me that way. Jesus, you're right about who you say that I am. <laughs> Jesus, you say I'm a new person. You say I'm your beloved child. You say I'm your intimate ally. That's who you say I am. I tell you what, I look at my life. I don't always see that, but I'm gonna trust that you say I am a new creation, that I am loved. So Jesus, I trust you. And friends, the only thing left for us then is to decide. The only thing left is for us then to decide. We don't have to have all the trust together. We just decide. How will we respond when Jesus says, will you follow me? Let this song be a prayer as we sit in it. And for some of us, maybe we'll join in and sing it out. But Jesus is calling and asking each one of us, will you follow me?